uh, Psalm chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read to verse 12. It says this. Before we go on, just clarity. What I said was not to indict the Southern Baptist Convention now. People change, things change. There is a lot still to be changed there, but there are people within that convention who we are greatly appreciative for. There are a lot of efforts with which we partner with the SBC for, for global missions, church planning in the states, and seminary uh, training. So let that not feel like an indictment or we're trying to come down on them. It's just us being patriots in the truest sense of the word. Psalm chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Stand with me and read. It says this, listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my God, or my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil can't dwell with you. The boastful can't stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down towards your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me. For there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against, hear this, you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout forever. May you shelter them. And may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Let's pray. Father, your words are true. They grant us hope. Help us to believe them, Father. Help us to exchange our problems for your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you take your seat? That doesn't belong to you. That ain't for you. If those words seem to roll off my tongue, it's because I've said them approximately 651 times this week to my daughter uh, while my wife was out of town. Um, that's not yours. On the counter, there's a cup of juice and there's a cup of hot coffee. I go to reach for the coffee and my daughter wants what's mine. And I say, that ain't, that ain't for you. That's mine. Here's yours. Sometimes the only way to learn is by experience. One day I'll let that take place, but I didn't do that this uh, past week. But one day, she's going to take that hot cup of coffee. She's going to disregard my warnings that that ain't for her. That's not hers. And she's going to drink it. And she's going to experience frustration and heartache, not because I was bad, but because she insisted on keeping something that wasn't hers. Sometimes uh, your peace of mind is as simple as an exchange. Sometimes your peace of mind, the peace of mind that you're trying to grasp, is as simple as an exchange of something that's bitter for something that's better. Psalm 5 is so basic that it doesn't need a long introduction. Uh, sometimes things are so obvious and they need to be stated, not because people don't understand, 
but because people don't do it. You go to eat at a restaurant, and you go to the bathroom, and when you leave, what you're going to see is a big sign on the door that says, employees must wash their hands before they go back to work. It's obvious. It's not there because people don't know. It's there because they don't do it. That what, yours, what that sign says is you're here to serve, and if you carry that filth out there with you, you're going to do more harm than good in your service. Psalm 5 is here because you have problems that you carry with you, and for the child of God, you are meant to serve. And if you carry that filth back out there with you, you're going to do more harm than good. Some things are so obvious, and they need to be stated, not because people don't understand, but because they don't undertake them. And that's what Psalm 5 is here for. We're going to take a little break from the book of Matthew, and for the next three weeks, we're just going to walk through these psalms, which have been referred to as Jesus's uh, prayer book. And because I think the message is so straightforward, I'm just going to give you my point up front, and then we're going to go from there. And the point is this. Uh, God's joy is yours for the taking, as long as your problems are his for the keeping. God's joy is yours so long as you embrace the fact that your problems are his. Psalm 5, starting in verse 1, instructs us, look, bring all of your problems to God and use words when necessary. Me and Chandra love to watch uh, shows at home, and one thing we started to do years ago, I don't know why we did, uh, we watch all the shows with the subtitles on, right? So in a loud, uh, there's a few of y'all that do that, right? So in a loud house, if you miss things, you read them, but what's good is that the subtitles now don't just uh, put the words that folks say, but it puts the meaning behind like what folks do, right? So like it will say things like laughing sinisterly. And I'm like, ah, that's what a sinister laugh looks like. Or like cheering sarcastically. It's like, oh, he really didn't mean it when he uh, clapped hands. The only reason I bring that up is because Psalm 5, 1 through 3, all... The psalmist wants you to know is that when it comes to your prayers and your cries, God has the subtitles on. Psalm 5.1, look, listen to my words, Lord, and then he's going to go on. Look, consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly you saw that lord listen to my words consider my sighing pay attention to my cry do you ever feel like you have problems that you can't pronounce i've got a name that's hard to pronounce my full name is chimdindu john anwuchekwa getting calls from telemarketers is the best thing in the world because they call and some just say hello Some say hi, and they try real hard, and they never get it right, but do you know what I do? I respond, because I know what you meant. I know that you tried. What he's saying is, God, there are things that are so hard in my life right now. Things, God, I'm so tired, and naps don't give me the strength that I need. God, I'm so depressed. The meetings I have with counselors don't help the way that they should. God, I'm so sick, and the medicine they prescribe to me has not changed a thing. There are these problems that he feels like he can't get rid of, regardless of what he does. And he says, God, it's so hard, I can't even pronounce it, so consider my cries. In the morning, verse 3, look, in the morning, Lord, hear my voice. What he's saying is, God, I'm bringing my problems to you so much so that, God, when you wake up, your phone has voicemails, and they're all from me.
Verse 7, he's going to say, but I enter your house. It's not just that you have my voicemails. I'm there. Do you ever have, uh, we all have those friends, right, that uh, um, our kids wake up and they say, where's, like, where's Uncle Keith? And I say, Ava, um, I know he's always here, but he doesn't live here, right? (laughs) What he's saying is, no, no, God, I'm always in your house because I always have problems. I wake up tired in the morning, hear my voice, God, I wake up tired because I wake up and I realize that my problems haven't slept, but they're still fresh. Does anybody ever feel like that? Is there anybody in here that feels like that right now? J.C. Ryle's going to say it like this. The only way to be really happy in a world such as this is to be ever casting all our cares on God. It is trying to carry their own burdens, which so often makes believers sad. If they will tell their troubles to God, he will enable them to bear them as easily as Samson did the gates of Gaza. If they are resolved to keep them to themselves, they will find one day that the very grasshopper is a burden. Psalm 5, 1 through 3. It's, plain, it's not hard to understand, but it's just seldom that we undertake it. And you may be here and say, well, John, I'm not good with my words. And what I'm saying is, no, no, this is good news because your actual words have never helped or hindered God in answering your actual needs. We serve a God that has the subtitles turned on and every good parent knows what their kids' cries mean. Those of you that have kids, you know what it's like to be at home with friends that don't have kids and they hear your kid cry and you don't rush to go and help them. (laughs) And what you say is, I know that cry. That's a Tiana can't get her dress back on cry. Eventually she's going to move to Elsa. She eyed. <laughs> I'm busy. But then there are those cries where you know something is really, really wrong. The psalmist wants you and I to know that when those cries come, God is not like me. God is never too busy. God never has to get up and run into the right room because God is omnipresent. He's never left the room. Any room that you're in, God is there. God hears those cries. Our problems, I think they take a toll on everyone, but they tend to leave a mark on us because we tend to carry them longer than we have to. It's either we don't give God our problems or we wrongly give God our problems. Here's what I mean. Either we don't. So there's a lot of things that you and I face, a lot of burdens on our heart. But if you're anything like me, your prayer life can tend to go up and down. And though there's a lot on our minds, there's not a lot that comes out of our mouth in prayer. So what do we do with our problems? We either get to work and try to solve them ourselves. Or we tell all of our problems to people who aren't involved in any of the conflict. And we assume that gossip is going to be the thing that takes care of what goes on. When it doesn't, it may eliminate the feelings that we feel of not feeling justified in our wrath and our anger but it doesn't alleviate the burden of the actual problem, especially if it's something that's really been done wrong to us. Or judging by the age of folks here at this uh, church, we take our problems to social media, and we vent, and we get it off our chest, and we think that we've left our problems with the internet, but we incessantly check our phones for replies Because we've never really let them go. It's like a helium balloon that we hold with our hands, constantly 
pulling down. And none of that brings peace. Or we ignore them and just think that they are going to go away. Or we self-medicate and try to drink them away. And we may not call it a drinking problem, but everybody else in our group might. Either we don't bring them to God or look at verse 3. Look, he's going to talk about the tone and tenor of his day. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. Look, in the morning, I plead my case to you. Listen and watch expectantly. So many of us pray, but we don't expect God to do anything. We watch and we wait skeptically. There's a certain Chick-fil-A in town that I go to. I'm not going to name any names, but when I'm in the line, everybody behind me in the drive-thru hates it because I sit, sit and I look at the bag and I say, I know I asked for two ketchups, right? Why is there Polynesian sauce in my bag? That I know that something is going to go, I just know they're going to fail me. So I'm clear with my request, hear this, but I wait skeptically. Some of us in here treat God like that. We don't live, weep, we don't walk through the day with hope. Even if we start the day in prayer, we don't end it in hope. We start it in prayer and, and despair fills our hearts Throughout. Listen, I'm just in the way I treat that Chick-fil-A because they've got a track record. In Jeremiah 2 verse 5, God's going to look at his people. Gathered much like this and he's going to say to them, what fault did your fathers find in me? that made them go away and chase after worthlessness. That what God's saying is, no, no, listen. If we're going to take track records into account, how many mornings did you wake up and air was not present? How many mornings did you wake up and the sun was not where it should have been? God's saying, my track record, right, put it on a scale, and my track record shows that we should be people that can pray expectantly. Why does he think that he can bring his problems to God? Verse 4 through 6 shows us his fuel. Listen, he reflects on the character of God. God, by his nature, is a problem solver. Verse 4 to 6, look. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. Why does he think he can bring his problems to God? He's going to use this thing that um, scholars would call climactic parallelism. And that's just a fancy way to say when it comes to evil and problems, God turns up on evil. Climactic parallelism, it's just this stair step, right? You saw that in verse 4. God doesn't delight in it. Two, God can't dwell with it. To God hates it. To God destroys it. To God abhors it. The very mention of it sends him into a frenzy. The reason why he can do this, the reason why he can bring his problems to God is because he's gone to the beginning of God's track record that God has revealed in his word. And what he sees is a God who loathes Darkness and confusion and chaos so much that your Bible starts off with a God 
uncoerced by anybody, driving out darkness and bringing in light. And so he says, when I start to experience these things in my life, the first place that I'm going to turn is God. Bring your problems to God. Here's what gives us the greatest confidence in prayer as we bring those things to God. Look, as he talks about how God feels towards evil, verse 7, see that one word that starts off, but that's one of the most important words in your Bible. Because what but does is it shows you there's this contrast. Look at verse 6. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people, verse 7, but I enter your house. Context is everything. Do you know who wrote this song? David. Do you know who practiced murder and treachery? David. He murders another woman's husband so that he can steal her. So here what he does is he contrasts the actions of the wicked, and then he says, but I enter into your house. How? You would expect him now to talk about all the good things that he does, but he doesn't. Look, but I enter your house, hear this, by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down towards your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Do you notice all the pronouns that he brings? God, I am able to bring my request to you, not because of my goodness, but because of yours. That's what fuels him. That's what helps him bring his problem to God. So many times we, we don't bring our troubles to God because we try to take care of them ourselves. Or we bring them and we don't expect much because you and I don't tend to look at God's track record. We tend to look at ours. And I want you to hear this. It is, it's the attitude that gives him, uh, or it's his attitude that helps him walk in righteousness and not his actions, right? There's two ways that if we trust in our actions, it can lead us far from God. Here's the first way. Not going to God at all with our problems and trying to solve them by sex, by drinking, by gossip, by all of these sins, right? We all know that that's bad. There's another way, and that's by contrasting the deeds of the wicked with our good deeds. And now we feel more bold to bring our problems to God when we've lived right this past week. When our internet history has been clean, now God will hear me and I can pray. When we haven't been mean and we haven't clapped back. And we feel less worthy to bring our problems to God. When those things haven't been true of us. We are basing God answering our requests. Not on his goodness, but ours. And your prayer life will fluctuate like that based on your performance. But this text gives you and I great confidence in prayer and for us to stop praying timidly when we are reminded that our prayers can soar on the wings of another. It's the Lord Jesus and his perfect performance that earns for us or secures for us God's ear, so now, regardless of if we've done right or not, we still have the same confidence in prayer. And so when we don't do right, the first thing that we do is we don't run away to try to fix it, but do you know what we do? We humble ourselves and we pray. Verse 8, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. The problems that you wake up with, I'm encouraging you, listen, don't wait to bring those to God. And I'm stating the obvious, not because it's hard to understand, but because it's seldom undertaken. 
first thing in the morning, bring your problems to God. And you say, well, John, I'm not a morning person. And what I'm saying is become one because I guarantee your problems are. They do not sleep. They have had their first cup of coffee before you wake up. Bring your problems to God even if your words don't want to come along at first. That's the beauty of the Psalms right here. That once we start, and even once we start to direct our cries to the Lord, and we open up the pages of Scripture, what we find is that in these Psalms, They don't just give us permission to pray, but they help fill in the words. They give us instruction. J.C. Ryle is going to say the same thing. Uh, True faith helps us know that there's nothing too small for God. While our words don't have to come along at first, eventually they need to come along. And he's going to say this. uh, What patient would be content telling his doctor that he's sick, but not providing any of the symptoms? What spouse would be content telling their spouse they're unhappy, but never saying why? What child would be content telling their father they're in trouble, but never going into details? And what he's going to say is this, God is the true physician of the heart. God is the perfect bridegroom of our souls, and he is the real father to his people. And we show that we believe all of this by being unreserved and unhindered in our prayers. Look, God's joy is yours for the taking if you would embrace the fact that your problems are his for the keeping. Once we do this and start to direct our problems towards God, do you know what we find out? We find out those problems are his for the keeping. Hear this. Because they're his to begin with. Uh, Have you ever moved into a house? You bought a house. It's your house. Your mail comes to the mailbox and you're thrilled and excited waiting to get that first piece of mail. And you get that first piece of mail and it has somebody else's name on it. The worst thing that you could do is take that mail Open it up, one, because it's against the law, right? But two, read it and imagine that it's hate mail. And you read it and read it and read it, and you internalize and personalize everything. You're taking on a burden, and it's not yours. You're mad because you're internalizing a problem that is not yours. Look, David understands this truth. Look here at verse 8 through 10. 8 says this, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries, right? So there are very real people that are doing hateful things that I feel deeply. Make your way straight before me. All that is is yeah, saying, all right, yo, if I want to walk straight and there's lots of obstacles right in front of me, then my path isn't straight. I've got to move through all those things. And he's saying, God, clear out the obstacles. Make your way straight. Let me walk unencumbered. Verse 9, look. He's going to describe the character of wicked people. And notice what he's going to spend his time on. Their speech. For there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. I stop there and I highlight all of that stuff because I want you to hear this. Listen, words matter. They are important. They are powerful. God created us as beings that use words and speech as a reflection of a God that uses words and speech to create the world. Words are powerful. They matter. They aren't to be excused. They're not to be swept under the rug. They're not to be ignored. They matter. And wicked people can do very harmful things with words. 
It was not weapons that enslaved a group of people on this, these shores. It was words. So look at verse 10. Punish them, God. Let them all fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes. Here's one thing that the Psalms do. They give us permission. They give us a script to pray for these things. It is a very good, right, and true thing to pray for justice. To pray that this God that hates evil would address and attack all injustice. Indifference to injustice is an injustice. And it furthers it. We as a church should pray that God should set things right. And the scriptures give us permission. But they don't just give us permission. They instruct us to what really goes on here. And here's why I say that the problems are God. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. Why can David give his problems to God? Because he realizes that the hate mail that he is getting is actually addressed to God. Here's what I mean by that, if I lost some of y'all. Um, Ted Bundy was a guy that was a serial killer, rapist. Confessed to killing over 30 people. And they think that there were many, many more. He was convicted, tried, and put to death. The court documents that present his case, do you know what they say? Ted Bundy versus the state of Florida. Listen, it doesn't say his name versus the victims, although the victims were the ones that he did wrong to. But when his case is being tried in court, it's being tried against, hear this, not just the victims, but the lawgiver. So it is the lawgiver that's going to carry out justice on him, not the victim. So David is praying, and what he's saying is, look, 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 God, God, all of the sin, though it's done to me, and I feel it deeply, hear this, it's ultimately done to the lawgiver. So what he's not going to do is take vengeance in and of himself. He's not going to rail. He's not going to hold on to that problem. He's going to give it to God and ask for God to address it because God is a God that takes care of evil uncoerced. I say that because if you look at verse 9, think of the person, the most visible person that embodies verse 9. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. Every time they open their mouth, something unpleasant comes out. They flatter with their tongues. This past week, as I was reading this text, and I want you to hear, this is what I'm going to say, don't check out. The person that came to my mind, and once again, let me finish. Partisanship aside was the president of the United States. That as we see this impeachment hearing, and even what takes place on the heels of it, the vulgarity of the speech, of the words that he used, Partisanship aside, right, we're just talking about the character and the words of somebody. Every chance he has to tweet or to talk or to tear somebody down, he 
does it. Irrespective of regardless of the side that they're on. Listen, and I know we're told to honor our leaders in the same way the Bible tells us to honor our parents and honor each other. And I want you to know that if my dad or any of y'all stepped out of pocket like this, I would say the same thing. And it's not meant to dishonor. It's just meant to, especially in a church like this who holds the conservative theological leanings that we do, is to call attention to something that is not normal. And to ignore it and not address it is to normalize something that is reprehensible. And then to even look at, and and I just want you to hear this, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the honor that can be, that is given, the highest civilian honor. Listen to me. Mother Teresa got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. For it to be given to a man like Rush Limbaugh, who, and I want you to hear this, partisanship aside, right? I didn't vote for either party in the last uh, election. His words, I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about common grace, decent, decent morals. His words have been hate-filled. And burned up inside, angry, every morning that I got up and read all of these things. The first thing that we see from this song is David says, John, listen, you feel deeply about those things? Your job is first take those problems to God. They are hate mail addressed to him. Your job is not vengeance. Your job is not to tear anybody down with your words. Your job is to take those things to God. Now I want you to hear this. The reason why I bring that up. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. David tells me one thing. Paul tells me something else. Chapter 3, verse 9. Hear this. As Paul is presenting his case against humanity, he says this. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Look at verse 13 and tell me if it sounds familiar. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. The verse that I got incensed about somebody doing to me, the Apostle Paul would stand up here and says, I'm I'm talking about all of y'all. What he's saying is, no, 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 no. This verse doesn't apply to the one person that you think embodies it worse. This verse uh, applies to all of humanity, even if you have not done those things to the extent that he has. Anybody, right, like Christ says, who calls anybody a fool assaults their maker. Have you been guilty of being careless with your word? Do you know what actually becomes a bigger problem than the things that keep us up at night? Our desire for justice becomes a bigger problem because it implicates us. David knows this well. David was a man, like I said, who murdered a man, stole another man's wife. The prophet Nathan comes to him and gives him this story about this man who steals another man's sheep. And David says, put him to death. And Nathan says, David... You are the man. (laughs) We're so much better at seeing our sin when somebody else is wearing it. (laughs) 
you have those clothes where it's like, oh, that's dope. And your friend says, oh, that's, that's yours. I actually took it from the back of your closet. <laughs> I want you to hear this. This is a problem, a big problem. But hear this. Like every other problem, this isn't your problem. And that's the good news of the gospel right here. Verse 11 says this, look, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout forever. May you hear these words, shelter them. And may those, hear this, who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Hear this. Rain and snow always gets things wet. Always. We were at brunch yesterday, and uh, we started to talk about the snow, um, and Joe said, it snowed? Here, this, look, look. Joe didn't know that it snowed because he didn't step foot outside. He stayed in his shelter. So though the rains came down, Joe was protected from those rains. There's a reason why in Genesis 6 we see this story of the flood, of the rains coming down as a symbol of God's wrath, and the only people that were protected were the people that hid in the shelter. There is a problem for every one of us that cries out for justice, and that is God is going to send those rains down indiscriminately. But the good news of the gospel is that that problem doesn't have to be your problem for everybody that takes refuge in God. Exodus chapter 34, there's a few scriptures and I'm going to be done. Moses, on the heels of delivering God's people from slavery, sees them worshiping a golden calf, and it says this, look, the Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed, hear this, his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Praise God that he's a God that forgives. Uh, but, 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 he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Look, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. Once it hit that he could be freed, what he does is he prays and asks God for forgiveness. And do you know what God does? God forgives him. Not just because God could just say, I forgive you, the slate is clean, no harm, no foul. But Paul's going to bring this up in Romans Chapter 3, I'm just about done. It says this in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. What Paul said is, uh, it's easier to spot your sin when somebody else wears it. Now that we all see that we're in the same boat, who can say that they're free from sin? None of us. Verse 20. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Now what Paul's saying is nobody can do good enough to outweigh those scales. 21. But now, hear this, apart from the law, apart from your deeds, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. 22. The righteousness of God, hear this, is not through your works or your actions or resolve to do better. It's through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is, and I want you to hear this, in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith, 
to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. So all the people in the Old Testament that did not get immediately wiped out because of their sin, the reason why was because God gave them his grace on credit. God says, all right, I'm going to pass over now. I'm going to pay it one day, but right now I'm just going to rack up these debts to show you my kindness. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this. That word, in Jesus Christ, that phrase, in Jesus Christ, it is helpful if you think of that word, in Jesus Christ, as a geographical term, as a place. And it opens up what's meant by this. So look, if I were to say to you, Nobody is waterproof. Everybody who stands outside in the rain will get wet. Nobody is offended by that statement. Because we all know it's true. And if I were to say, listen, the only way to get out of the rain or to make sure that you're not wet is if you go indoors into a shelter. Nobody is offended by that at all because we just know it's true. But if I were to say, look, look, nobody's righteous. When it comes to the reign of God's wrath, nobody's waterproof. Nobody can stand outside and not be drowned in, in God's wrath. Then there's a host of folks who say, ah, oh, but at least I never killed anybody. At least I hadn't done this. And, and, and what Paul's trying to say is, no, no, no. Nobody's right. Nobody's waterproof. But... Everybody and anybody can be in Christ Jesus. Yesterday it was freezing outside, cold. A few of us went out to brunch for a birthday, and look, we had the opposite experience inside. Inside it was blazing hot. We were begging them, turn it down, take the coals out of the fire, whatever y'all have to do, cool it down. And while everybody else outside had an experience of what the day was, our experience was different because we were in a shelter. And I want you to hear this. This is what it means to be in Christ Jesus in the world that we live in. Everybody has a different experience of problems, of struggles, of security, of love. And what we're saying is we have a different experience, not because we're better, but just because we've taken shelter. God does us one better. That is, we are praying for the destruction of our enemies, people that have hurt us. God says, um, I'm going to destroy them by making them family. I'm going to bring them in. Hear this. 150 years ago, look around you. If a church building was sitting here 150 years ago, it would not look like this. If God was determined just to show justice, it's not just that the pigment in the room would change. The numbers in the room would change. This would be an empty place. But instead of God destroying all of humanity, God instead comes as a man. And Jesus takes the fate that all of us deserve. So 150 years later, this room could be filled with a group of people who 150 years ago would have been enemies. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of what God does for all of us to take shelter in him, to put our trust in him. And that's why this psalm ends, not just with saying we're safe and secure, but was saying, let everybody who takes refuge in the Lord rejoice. Shout. Boast in his name. Worship. 
Worship is always a response to the revelation of who God is. That's why we gather and sing, not just to pass the time, but because we're floored with what all of, all of what God has done, and our worship is the reflex of the soul to the person that really knows who God is and what he's done, that our biggest problem was taken care of before you and I were even aware of it. Friends, family, you don't have to carry whatever you're carrying. You have a God that loves and cares for you. And this track record is seen not just in creation, but this track record is seen in redemption in the way that he's saved us. I want to end with a quote from a guy by the name of John Bryant. Uh, AME pastor, who says this. Throughout all the torture and pain, as he talks about the black experience in the U.S., throughout all the torture and pain, on every page of each chapter, the same name has always been found on our lips. The name of the word has been a constant in the community of these children in Africa. On chain gangs, they chanted, Lord. From cotton patches, they wailed for God. In secret churches in the woods, they shouted Jesus. In welfare and unemployment lines, they moan, Father. Many have seen our loyalty to God in the very face of suffering and concluded that our God was deaf or dead or did not care. Folk have thought that way and continue to think that way simply because they don't understand our Father, the King. When the Father decides to use his children, he equips them for survival. In verses 9 and 10, David is praying that God would be a sword and punish his foes. In verses 11 and 12, David is thanking God that he was a shield. Had God been that sword, we all would have been done for. But because God is that shield, all of us who would have been done for because we would be too busy fighting each other, find ourselves in rooms like this, worshiping our great God. If that's not incentive enough to bring to him your lesser problems, then I don't know what is. Let's start right now. Heavenly Father, we give to you our problems, our struggle, our toil. Father, we give to you everything that weighs us down, and we ask the most uneven exchange in the world. And we only ask because you've invited us to, Father. Father, give us joy. Help us to let go of the things that aren't ours to bear. Thank you for the work that Jesus has done for us. We pray that his work would be our boast. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.